I absolutely loved consulting. It was the perfect job for my age at the time. Hugely ego fulfilling at that age. You've got uh, clients that are looking to you for advice. They need the support and you're the man. You know, you know what's going on. You know how things work. Uh, you're instructing them on some of the most critical things that they believe they have to work with and, and they're listening to you. It's an amazing, uh, amazing experience. The travel, the adventure, very exhilarating. And, uh, you know, single, young, uh, what more do you want? So I was absolutely in the right place at the right time doing that at that age. However, there were things to consider. Um, while it's a phenomenal lifestyle business, it does have limits. So for example, you can only scale so much because you're the primary resource in the company. Uh, in most cases, um, I certainly did have consultants that worked with me, but I was the mainstay of every project and every client essentially wanted me on the job. So there was only so many clients I could handle at a time. There's only one of you. Remember that if you guys are getting into this and no matter how many talented folks you bring aboard, the brainchild, uh, you know, and the impetus behind these companies, if you're the creator is going to be you and that is who they want to work with. So just keep that in mind. And the other thing about the scale piece of this is that very few clients are really willing to brag about their security or intelligence consultant to others. Uh, it's sort of a private thing. It's a little bit like a, a very private doctor, uh, you know, a bit of like your proctologist. Last thing in the world you want to do is start sharing all these wonderful stories about, you know, that type of individual. And I'm not trying to degrade myself in that statement, but it's, it's not untrue. What you're, what we're doing or what I was doing for these clients, uh, wasn't something they were necessarily sharing over dinner conversation. So they were certainly reaping the rewards and the fruits of it, but they weren't exactly to share. They weren't willing to share that information with others. Uh, very often they did, but it wasn't very often. So by nature, by that, that essentially limits your income. And that can be very challenging because you're kind of in a feast and famine state as a consultant for at times where you're absolutely killing it. You've got an amazing series of projects for several months, and then it's a dry spell and you kind of have to live off that money that you made from the prior period, uh, to make it through the next, um, you know, sort of healthy, healthy period. So it can be very challenging at times and that creates sporadic revenue and just, a it, it can be very, uh, disconcerting as you start to get older and a little more wiser about your money. Um, and then lastly, the intrinsic value, I didn't know this very well then, but I do know it now, the intrinsic value of a consultancy um, or a service-based firm where you are the talent or you and a few people are the talent has a, a limited um, valuation for exit so or selling your company, right? So that's something that's uh, really important to consider if you're building something for longevity and possibly for a big windfall. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that we were delivering intelligence to our customers uh, or clients back then. Um, so that was a very key thing. It was a very unique value proposition and, and product that we were giving them. And what's interesting, and I, I think it's good for me to stop and, and do a quick run through of exactly what intelligence is, because I think several of my podcasts now have talked about the um, birth of my career into competitive intelligence. And then I shifted into counterintelligence and it uh, sort of mushroomed from there. And there's probably listeners that generally understand the word, certainly, and they use the word in intelligence and information and data interchangeably. 
And many people do think it's the same thing. And um, it's really quite different. And I think that uh, I have this quick analogy or series of analogies that really illustrate what this is. And it was the basis upon a really amazing idea that I had to go into building a product that seemed like would be the, the, the solution to all my problems, frankly, as far as financial and growth and a bigger business and a bigger company. But coming back to data, information, and intelligence, data is like a swimming pool. I know it sounds strange, but work with me on this. A swimming pool is a giant body of water or H2O, um, but it is a non-homogenous mixture. Go back to chemistry class in high school. Non-homogenous mixture of all kinds of things. Yes, there's H2O, certainly, but there's chlorine and then there's sand and sediment and maybe leaves or dead bugs and probably children's pee, <laughs> all kinds of horrible stuff in there that is uh, in this mixture. And it's, it's what it is. It's this gigantic mixture of things that are some things useful, some things not so useful. Information is very much like water from your kitchen tap. It's generally H2O, it's generally water um, for the most part, but it still has impurities. And the most notable piece of this as it relates to this anecdote or this, this analogy is that it has multiple purposes. You can drink it, you can cook with it, you can clean with it, you can freeze it, make ice cubes. Um, there's a slew of different uses for things like water from your tap. Um, you know, and ultimately it, it's, it has purpose, it has use, but it's got multiple purposes. It can take many forms and it's kind of an eternal thing. It rarely will ever change. Despite it turning into steam or ice, it'll always return back to being water and back it goes into eventually the ecosystem and probably back, back out of your tap at some point. Intelligence is like Coca-Cola or your favorite soda or pop, depending where you are in the world for Lexicon. It's highly purified H2O, highly purified water with syrup added to it to make it very specific for use. And that use is consumption, right? Some sort of, it's an edible product at that point. It's meant for, you would never wipe your counter down with Coca-Cola or wash with it to my knowledge is probably some sort of weird hack out there for that. But the point is the general purpose behind this is for consumption. But the most important feature around something like Coca-Cola as it relates to intelligence is that it has effervescence. It has fizz that makes it what it is, right? Yes, there's the water component, there's a syrup component, but it's the fizz factor that makes it something fairly unique. And the key point, and what I'm getting at here is that a glass of Coke today opened and put, put on a, a counter is not gonna be the same tomorrow. It would have gone flat and in essence expired. Intelligence is very specific and for a specific purpose and actually has a shelf life. It's a perpetually refreshable resource. What's really interesting about this, and you probably can tell where I'm going with it, is that it dawned on me that I wasn't creating a forever working light bulb for my customers that they would never have to buy again. I was delivering something that had to be renewed and refreshed. By definition, becomes an annuity. It has to be something that has to be given back to them in time when, when what I've given them is expired or stale or no longer usable. So whether it's 
there for a competitive capacity where they're looking to win deals against their competitors, or it is in intelligence around gaps in their defenses. Either way, it would be have to, it would have to be constantly renewed. And what that translates into is consistent and repeatable revenue, which is a really big, big deal. Um, now, yes, I did have repeat clients, as I may have mentioned in my former uh, podcast, but it wasn't consistent and repeatable in a subscription type fashion, which is what you get with something like a product. So in 2010, I hatched an idea and I really started to get more and more sold on it in my own mind. And that idea was, what if I could build a product that delivered intelligence as a subscription? And it seemed very logical. There were companies doing this. This wasn't my idea to deliver Intel as a subscription by any means, but I had a very unique idea about what I would do with it and how I would achieve that. And I already had several friends that had already become very successful after selling their cybersecurity companies. So I was that much more motivated by watching their success. It's easy to watch others and, and sort of get enamored by how easy it looked and how wonderful their life might appear from the outside. But the path to that is quite twisted and windy. So never fall for the fact that it's a straight shot up to the top. It, it never really is. But building a product would enable me several things. Um, very candidly, um, from an altruistic standpoint, it would um, allow me to deliver a very important capability. We'd be spying on the bad guys. And that's a pretty epic capability, I think. And that's where it makes it very, very interesting to be able to help um, our customers look at things from a different angle. And I'll get into a little bit of what we did build here in a minute. Um, the limits of scale, as I mentioned before, would be removed because I would then be able to essentially build once and deliver many times the same, essentially the same product to many customers. And they would benefit from that, which is wonderful. And that would enable me to then have this scale problem removed. I would not be the sole product, essentially. My mind or my, my attention or time would not be the sole product. That's one of the benefits of technology. It is the great force multiplier. It will always be, be that. And the last thing that I didn't even really realize at the time, but I, I definitely now, and certainly now, preach this, is that you're able to decouple the value of the firm from yourself. And by doing so, that would allow me to sell the company when the time was right. And yes, I might go along with it, which I did do, and spend some time at the acquiring firm. But the beauty of this is you eventually shepherd it into the new organization and you can leave, you know, under the right circumstances and make out very well and retire, do whatever you need to do or start over again and, you know, any number of things. So it was a very exciting proposition. I, I got more and more excited about the proposition of building something that I could um, sell, you know, rather than my time and attention. But where to start? And this was the classic challenge. You sort of have this notional idea of what you want to achieve, but where do you begin? You know, it's a very hard thing to do. With consulting, it was simply like show up and, you know, learn as you go and think about the problem and hopefully provide a solution and then get paid. Um, where it was, you know, fairly bespoke or custom every time we would go into a, a customer's, uh, you know, engagement. Um, but in this case, rather than, you know, do the classic, which is sadly true, which is create a solution based on a wonderful idea and then try to find a problem that fits it or solves it, which is all too common. I wanted to find a problem to solve. 
because then you're kind of more guaranteed that if the problem is big enough and it has enough of a um, effect on enough organizations, people, governments, that solve will be welcomed, right? And I'm, I know I'm speaking about this very candidly and very easily now, and it is a retrospective on what happened. I guarantee you, I did not think this way back then. This was a very, very twisted and windy path, as I mentioned, but I got to work. And what I focused on was that botnets and the rise of those botnets at that time, and this is probably around 2009, 89, would be my focus. For those that don't know what botnets are on this podcast, and I'm not gonna go into an exhaustive explanation of them, I can certainly do this in another podcast if you guys are interested, put them, put that into my ratings or comments or send me a, you know, a request. But really a botnet is essentially a zombie computer. It's your computer, it's your grandmother's computer, it's a computer in a company, it is a company um, or a, a, a batch of servers at a data center, it's a cloud server, whatever you call it, doesn't matter, it's, an, it's a computer that has been taken over or has been infected by what we call malware today that then gives that computer directives to then act in a certain way, whether it is harvesting information, probably the most prolific Notional idea that I think we've seen in movies and everywhere else is a denial of service attack or a distributed denial of service attack. I think we've all heard about those, which is all these computers call the same machine all at once and essentially shut it down. So botnets were becoming a very concerning problem, uh, not only for the government, but for, for generally general population and mainstream. So it was a very, very formidable problem that seemed like it needed a really good solution. So I was like, perfect. This is exactly, and we had, this wasn't new to me. I'd certainly faced and seen some of these things through the course of my experiences over the last several years, uh, especially, uh, in the counterintelligence work I was doing. So I knew what they were. I understood fundamentally how they worked. What I really needed to figure out was a asymmetric and unique and disruptive approach to going after it and trying to figure out something that I could do there. So what I decided was let's not just defend against them like every other cybersecurity firm was essentially offering, which is here's our, here's our shield and our, our thick wall and our you know drawbridge and our moat that we're going to give you to protect yourself from this. What I said was mm, let's go after the bad guys. Let's go after the infrastructure that these cyber criminals and foreign intelligence agencies are setting up and get in there. I know this sounds... Uh, pretty interesting already. And I, I will get into a little bit more detail in, in a subsequent podcast, but, and, and ultimately collect the intelligence from that perspective. It was innovative, it was disruptive, and it was absolutely poised for growth because these things were not going anywhere. And uh, if anyone has seen the movie, The Professional, which I think is one of my favorite movies, when he's training Matilda how to be a, uh, a hitman, uh, he explains that the very first weapon you learn is the, um, the rifle with the scope on it because it is furthest away from the target and you can do it with ease and get away. The last thing you learn is the knife. The last thing you want to do is get close. And this was very akin to what we had done in the last 10 years of, of experience, which is the further away we could be, the better. Hence my story about laser microphones in my last podcast. So the next steps were, how do I do this? Certainly built a company in the past, but it was again based on my own experience and time and attention, my, I mean, the talent of my my uh, existing consultants. So first step was: Do we bankroll it or bootstrap it? Do we go get investors? Now, of course, I'd be getting investors on an idea, essentially at this point, or maybe at best something like a small, minimal, viable product. Or do I pay for this myself and essentially 
get this thing to go without any real external money. And uh, didn't really know the merits of either at the time. Certainly know a lot more about that today. Um, but ultimately, that was a question. Second thing was find a team. Help me build it. I needed a new and different talent pool than I had ever worked with in the past. I needed software developers rather than operatives, which I had been acquainted with for my whole career. So finding actual devs were was a new new experience. And it was understanding a little bit of what the timelines were with that and all the nuances around building something that I, that I had no idea about. And then the hardest lesson of all was sales and marketing. And uh, I'll get to that later. <laughs> but some very serious lessons learned there. Well, we built a thing and started calling everyone we knew who would surely pony up the cash to buy such an exquisite product. Everyone believes this when they build things like this. And this is where what looks great on paper doesn't necessarily translate into reality. And what I mean by that is that as a consultant, I was explicitly asked to critique a situation or an environment and intentionally deliver my findings, good or bad. And that was welcomed because they called me to get that information, good or bad. They're like, tell me the truth, doc, what's up? Am I going to die? You know, what's going to happen here? And I would tell them I'd be fair and I'd be honest. And that was exactly what my job was. And I was paid for that honesty. And that was a really, um, that was a luxury as I've learned, uh, come to learn anything unsolicited. And what I'm getting to is the product that we'd built in this case, our intelligence platform, anything unsolicited from an unfamiliar group is a whole other ball game. And that's usually viewed with skepticism because they think you're trying to peddle something to them. And so sadly that was a shocking, shocking situation for me because I had been perpetually in a state of, well, you know, I've done this so long. I've shared reality with my customers. They're bound to be thrilled that I have this new product that sheds a huge amount of light on the reality of things. And they're going to be thrilled about that. But I was not realizing I'm going to be speaking to people who have never met me before or know who I am in any way. And I would have to share that I have this pretty miraculous capability that does this. And they're going to look at me like, mm, that sounds a little too good to be true. And that's exactly what happened. And then not to mention, I had to get over a lot of the noise and the hyperbole in the industry. Everyone's saying they have the best thing in the world. Um, now, I certainly had other consultants I competed with, no question. But we were so specialized in a lot of ways, there weren't that many. There wasn't this immense amount of noise in that space. So I, I, it was a green field for a lot of us. We didn't have to battle it out and, uh, and you know, posture to get over uh, everyone else and crawl over everyone to get, you know, get a customer It was or a client. It was absolutely more than enough for everyone at the time, more or less. And really, again, because the custom, most of these organizations um, had never heard of me because I was essentially in the shadows my entire career doing things for companies that, um, of course, I did call the companies that I was working for in that capacity. And it, they generally would point me to an entirely separate division. And that was another challenging part of the equation is that I was be, I'd be speaking to people I'd never spoken to, even in existing customers that I had from the past. So that was very challenging. Um, in fact, in many cases, many thought we were actually trying to extort them. So they thought we were bad guys giving them a call saying we had intelligence on them that they didn't know about. And that was something that was uh, pretty interesting. In fact, several cases uh, resulted in the FBI being called on us. So needless to say, I got to know the FBI quite well during that period. So 
key point here really is just to not to fall in love with your product uh, or project, which is very easy to do. Try to look at things from the audience's point of view because that will help a lot. Because if this seems like it might be too good to be true, even to you or to a, to a customer, it, it's likely gonna take a lot to get them to, to see otherwise and it can be very challenging. So, you know, as I mentioned before, what I had not made, I had not personally made a mental leap that I needed to do. And that mental leap was I had been the trusted and unbiased resource um, to these customers and these clients. And I had shifted to being this purveyor, or I use this more, you know, ugly word of peddler of yet another security and intelligence product. And, and that was a very demoralizing experience and it took uh, a fair bit of time to adjust and um, it was one of those very challenging situations that I, I don't know that I have figured out a, a way around I think that when you're transitioning mental you know your mentality from one place to another it, it inevitably has to take its course you have to go through the experience you have to realize that change my narrative change my pitch figure out how I've actually sharing what I have to offer and maybe it'll catch you know and that's something that it's a trial and error issue uh, no matter what well, inevitably, the good news is we did manage to get some initial wins and some encouraging traction. That is until we got embroiled into a highly publicized cyber fight with an international hacker collective that had already attacked the CIA, Sony, and the FBI. But that, my friends, is for another episode. Have a great day.